Hello and welcome to Quadrivia, the podcast that takes you a step beyond trivia and into the minds of people who craft it. I'm Aaron with Orange Cat Trivia in Richmond, Virginia. I'm Jeff with RMT Trivia, nearish to Chicago. Hey guys, this is Jason from Liquid Courage Entertainment, uh, also nearish to Chicago. And this is Jeremy, also with Liquid Courage Entertainment, nearest to Chicago-ish, there, somewhere, suburbs. (laughs) (laughs) So what I'm getting is, Aaron, you need to move. Apparently, yeah. But thanks to the magic (laughs) of the internet, we're all right here with you. Yay! Um, I know we- And ostensibly all talking at the same time. (laughs) Come together right now. Over trivia. Uh. I know last week we touched briefly on um, how things were going with reopening, but I do think that is top of mind for a lot of us. Has anything changed for you guys in the landscape of reopening and moving back into real spaces? It changed for me. I I went back to my regular job. Not my trivia job yet. My regular job. I'm back in the workshop fixing instruments again. For those of you who do not know, I fix musical instruments for a living. Uh, so when the little kids who are learning how to play clarinet and flute, drop them on the ground, they send them to me, I make them go toot again, and then send them back out. <laughs> uh, but uh, I have to ask with you saying that, like, have you ever found anything just really weird or disgusting in those oh, instruments? Oh, 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 God, give me the horror story. Man. Go, go, go. I gotta go. I'll make it really, really fast. You know how some people really love music? Oh, God. I once, oh. I once worked on a clarinet that somebody really loved, and that oh. is the end of that story. Because beyond that, it just gets really disgusting. <laughs> and that was quadrivery, everybody. Thank you. Have a good night. <laughs> this oh, is the final episode. Literal Lou Reed and take a walk on the wild side. But yeah, we we find uh, all sorts of fun oh. stuff in the cases, like the kids, uh, like notes that they've passed to each other. And, you know, every now and then oh, some sure, illicit sure. materials hidden underneath, like a lot of instrument cases have like a flap where you could keep your sheet music and stuff. And so we've, we've found like nudie mags and you know, <laughs> other, st- other stuff like that in there. That's always fun. It's 2020. Who the hell is still passing around nudie mags in band class? Eh, little kids still. Huh? It's yeah. It's vintage. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, but even their parents have been on internet stuff for 20 years. Yeah. So, like, is there even a market for that these days? I don't know. I ask, uh, pretending like I don't know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is a recent family video is still in business. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is the reason, yeah. Um, but to get back to your uh, question, Aaron, nothing has really changed on the landscape uh, for me or for Liquid Courage yet. Um, we are potentially going to get back into the karaoke game uh, about a week and a half from now, but uh, I haven't heard anything to that effect in about two weeks. That's just the last information I got from that venue owner, and I'm still really hesitant about it. But at the same time, I don't know that we're going to find a good common ground. So I am really thankful not to be going back because I don't feel super comfortable kind of making that public stand and saying okay well for three months it hasn't been my choice now it is you know have you given a thought to maybe interpretive dance karaoke where you don't use microphones but they get up and perform some sort of interpretive dance to a specific song one after the other so clearly jeff you have never been to one of my karaoke shows because (laughs) if you had you wouldn't have asked that question because you know my whole shtick is interpretive dancing while everyone sings i guess that's true maybe you could make that the main event though well and and also making fun of jeremy so, Jeremy, how's work going for you? Uh, day job is crazy busy all the time, it feels like. <laughs> um, I, without going into too much detail, I work in the grocery IT world. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're, we've been busy this whole time. Uh, pretty bad. 
But uh, I mean, how, as, how drunk are you? Uh, what? <laughs> uh, I, I do have my rum and coke here, uh, in all sincerity. But no, I just started drinking it, so I'm not. Uh, I'm not very drunk yet. Um, oh, good. The I mean, keyword is yet. Yeah. Right. Um, as far as any shows go, I mean, nothing. We haven't. I haven't really talked to the main venue I'm at yet, uh, other than just random texting back and forth just about how how people are doing and stuff like that. Um, but I, I don't think they're going to be ready because right now it's going to be limited uh, seating only outdoors. Uh, I haven't even heard if we're actually going to get indoor seating back soon. Uh, oh, uh, if I understand everything going perfectly according to plan, the end of June might be the first date where limited indoor restaurant and bar seating is allowed in the state of Illinois. That said, it is about one of the most dangerous things you can do for contamination. So I'm not at all comfortable with moving uh, to this phase. Right. And with that, I mean, even with that, it's like, let's say it was at least partially safe. Um, You can only have a very limited number of people in there. So there would be no point in having an event that's going to draw in a ton of people. Yeah. Plus, they, um, yeah, the incentivization is weird that way for sure. Yeah. Plus, and, there's also the yeah. 90 minute time limit. So, I mean, if you're unless your show is less than that, like mine takes about three hours beginning to end with setup, breakdown, and stuff afterwards. So, oh, I hadn't heard anything about a time limit. I don't have to look into that. I, I should say, uh, I know that there's a few places that are limiting table time so that they could turn the tables and get more people in and out, so people don't just go sit on their patios oh, right, for right. four hours. So, and the the venue that I go to has a 90 minute time limit. So I know that there's a lot of other places that have uh, instituted their own sort of like come and eat, but then you got to go type rules. And that's not that also along with, you know, you don't want to try and draw as many people in and you don't want them to stay for two hours if you're trying to turn tables and keep your business afloat. Right. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It's just, uh, I mean, other than that, just trying to do some stuff online. Uh, We've been doing some online karaoke, uh, which has been fun. I have a trivia game ready to go that I just need to find time to do it. <laughs> oh, do you now? He said, expecting to have already known the answer to this question. Right. <laughs> what about you, Aaron? Has your brewery contacted you yet? Um, I went in there last week or two weeks ago to pick up beer and talk to the owner. And I think we're just we're just not there yet as a city. But the fun fact that I learned is that when he uh, bought the space or started leasing the space next to him and took out a wall to double the size of the brewery, he never had the brewery and tap room re-whatevered. So the maximum capacity is still what it was when the building was half the size. And I don't know exactly what the rules are about that, but I suspect they're going to be going by the numbers of record. and He's not going to be able to get a new estimate. So his capacity okay. is going to be at like a quarter until he gets all that taken oh. care of. So, oops, he's like, I just wasn't important. And now it's really important. Right. Yeah. So, that stinks. Yeah. It's it's on the horizon. But hopefully in the future when people are listening to this, all of that has been sorted out and we live in a disease-free world of harmony. <laughs> but just in case. <laughs> well, you know what they say about hindsight and dumpster fires, right? They're both <laughs> fucking 2020. <laughs> oh. I'm wondering if my headphone cable will reach all the way to my fridge so I can get a beer. Um, but <laughs> before I do that... What we're going to talk about today, gentlemen, uh, and I'm saying today even though it's tonight and whatever time you happen to be listening, just fill it in. We're going to talk about games that are written for a specific fandom. Um, It's distinguishing that from theme games because that's something that's different and broader. We're going to be talking about that on a different episode. But a fandom-specific game is any game that's tailored towards a specific bunch of people who are nerds for something. So like Disney or the works of C.S. Lewis or Dinosaurs or whatever. 
Um, and this is not something that I personally focus on because I'm not a subject matter expert in anything and people terrify me. So uh, <laughs> you guys all have much more relevant, interesting stories to tell about those styles of games. So just to start off, just go ahead and go around. Um, we'll start with Liquid Courage, gents, and then pop over to Jeff. But just talk about a little bit, you know, how you pick what came, how you um, pick what kind of games you want to do, what games you've done, and how they're structured compared to your other games, if there's any difference. Okay, yeah, I can definitely take that. Because uh, honestly, Jeremy, I don't know that we have had you run a, uh, a specific fandom theme game with the company at this point. Please correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I think we were working towards that kind of in 2020 when, uh, you know, all the breaks kind of simultaneously got hit. Yeah, uh, pretty much. Uh, I have not really run one yet. I have helped write uh, part of like the Brooklyn Nine-Nine one as an example, but um, hmm. yeah, no, I never really got to run one. I'm, I'm trying to put some questions together uh, to run a couple that were thrown by me uh, that people wanted to see. But yeah, no, uh, you would definitely have more um, experience with actually running the game than I do uh, as far as the theme, uh, the fandom games go. Yeah, I just genuinely didn't remember if we had had an occasion where you filled in or I remember you saw how we do live theme games once uh, when we were doing a location that's pretty close to my house. I remember you popping in for that and kind of getting the lay of the land. So I might as well take a moment, and kind of explain um, you know, what we do with those, at least in a live setting and kind of how we got there. Uh, so a couple of years ago, I was uh, talking to an owner for one of my establishments, a pizzeria in a small town bar, and they wanted to bring in something. They were they were expanding their entertainment uh, calendar, essentially, and they were doing things like having live acoustic musicians and dueling pianos. And they had just brought in like bar bingo. We were doing trivia there, you know, on Wednesdays, and they wanted to do some weekend offerings. And the idea was to do theme games, you know, stuff that it is going to get people who don't normally go out there and aren't normally trivia buffs, but they are huge nerds for a thing to come in. And they uh, approached me with the idea. And honestly, at the time, I was not at all in a place where I felt comfortable committing to that because um, I'll, I'll tell you guys right now, uh, especially you, Aaron, who, who don't uh, who doesn't write this kind of stuff. It is the biggest pain in the ass of the world to write subject matter questions for a subject you are not an expert on. In any I want way. you to say that again for all of the people who bitch when your theme game <laughs> is not exactly perfect, because I think those are all people that need to hear this. It is so effing hard to source content, to difficulty check, to fact check, to, to figure out all the nuances and just identify what separates a good question from a bad question when you don't know any of the information you're writing about. It is honestly just going to, you know, the the TV show or the movie series Wikia site or, you know, just Googling uh, Harry Potter trivia and just finding something that doesn't look like it sucks. And if you are not at least passingly familiar with it, it is the hardest thing you can do as a trivia host. So to get back to kind of put a pin on the story, I wasn't ready to do that at the time, but I knew a, another local company and I'll give a shout out because I've done a lot of work with this guy over the last few months. Uh, Ali Beg at Beg of Tricks Entertainment in uh, the Chicago area was doing theme games and they looked really successful. He was hitting, you know, 15, 20 different themes. And as far as I could tell, he was getting good traction on social media. So I recommended that gig to him and he took it. And as far as I know, everything's going great. But the first time he went in and did an event, the next week, the owner came to me and said, hey, we just pulled 37 teams uh, and had a wait out the door at our pizzeria 
for a Saturday night entertainment thing. You are leaving money on the table if you don't jump into this theme game fandom based stuff. So ultimately, uh, that's when I decided to pull the trigger on figuring out one, how I could do it successfully two, how I could do it uniquely and three, how I could do it in such a way where I didn't find myself flustered because I'm not a subject matter expert in all things. So I actually ended up uh, pairing writing duties with the guys at the Triviality Podcast. Uh, I reached out to them and they were happy to kind of partner with me on this endeavor uh, for for about two years before you know they got big and famous and fancy and now they have more important things to do. But uh, it's all good. <laughs> Uh, so we were doing that for a while. We did it in a uh, a unique format that some people might know from our Twitch streams. It's called Tringo. And it's effectively a hybrid of uh, Pub Trivia and Bar Bingo, where it's not so much how much you know, but it's how much you know on the questions that matter most when luck is a factor. So I could I could sit here and, and, ten, and spend 10 minutes explaining the format. But basically, questions are worth bingo balls. And if you get bingo first, you win is the simplest way to describe Tringo. And that's kind of how we did it because we wanted to differentiate ourselves in the space, basically. Uh, I think that kind of covers the, the why for us and the how. Uh, Jeff, I know that you have uh, broken into these phantom style theme games over the last year or two as well. We've had many a conversation about it. Yes, we so, have. So uh, why don't you kind of take the reins and tell us your story? Sure thing. Um, uh, going back uh, maybe about three years ago. Actually, no, I'm going to take a step back even further uh, into a step beyond theme trivia. So right when I started hosting at my venue, uh, a interesting thing occurred uh, where the day that Marty McFly was going to travel to the future was approaching, and it fell on a Wednesday night, which is when I host my trivia. So I said, here's a fun idea. Why don't I do a Back to the Future theme night where uh, it's all going to be questions from the shows mixed in with a few history questions uh, pertaining to the eras in which the show, the movies took place. I mean, except for the future, you know, because we weren't there yet, technically. So I asked it a, a few history questions, a few mo questions about other movies with time travel and sprinkled in a bunch of Back to the Future trivia. And that was a really fun kind of one-off goofy event because that was the day that Marty traveled to the future in 2015. Um, so after that, uh, that really didn't draw anybody extra. Like, it, it wasn't a big news event. Like, nobody came extra to have that. It was just a fun thing for my regulars. Uh, a, a couple years after that, I would mix up fun, more genre-specific themes like movie night or music night or something like that. And those were always a pretty big hit with the regulars. They like focusing on one type thing. But then my venue managers said, we need to start offering theme nights. And I said, why? Why would we do that? And apparently, the bar right down the street, the night that I had my general knowledge trivia was the night that they had their theme night trivia. So they had general knowledge on Tuesdays and theme nights on Wednesdays, and my general knowledge was on Tuesday or on Wednesdays. So they wanted me to compete with another another bar. I'll get into why I didn't like that idea right off the bat um, a little bit later when we talk about... <laughs> whether or not we enjoy doing these or not. But um, so uh, I, I said, how about 
first of the month, we'll do theme nights from now on uh, for really popular stuff. You know, hit hit the big ones, the Harry Potter, Marvel, Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, all Game of Thrones, all the big TV shows, like stuff that has like huge, huge fandoms. And they said, how about every other week? And I said, eh, okay. So for a for a little while, I was going every other week uh, until they uh, kind of didn't ask me to do it anymore. And they just kind of secretly switched back and never did themes for about six months. <laughs> and then they said, uh, we need to start doing more theme nights. And the idea that they had was that theme nights are going to draw more people. And I'm sure we're going to cover this later. But the biggest issue with theme nights is that they tend to be feast or famine where uh, you have your entire regular crowd, which you can depend on once a week, every week coming in. Uh, at least 90% of them come back every week. And then you have nights where you do friends trivia and you get 30 teams, none of which have ever set foot in that bar before, that come and play your trivia for two hours. The The night is gangbusters. They do a ton of business. And then they never, ever return unless you do friends trivia again. And if you try to base the draw that you're getting on those really successful nights of the people that like, they have like touring trivia teams. Like it just, uh, it doesn't work very well. And like you said, it makes it impossible to write in a, in a really good fashion, unless you're really, really sure on that material. Like I, myself, a surprise to many, I'm sure am a big nerd about a lot of stuff. But you can you could never be as big a nerd as you need to be about everything in order to do this job properly to the degree that you hold your that you hold yourself on regular general knowledge games. I mean, you can only fact check so much, you can only difficulty test so much um, before you're hitting walls and finding out that the questions that you're asking are just either so simple. Like, I mean, you'll know right away when everybody's turning in correct answers over and over and over again. Uh, or they're too difficult where people that are psyched about this are all of a sudden not super excited about your writing. And I found out uh, that depending on the night, you know, I've had some of my worst evenings on theme nights, just in terms of my own uh, judgment of how I did for that evening. Um, just because, you know, like you said, it, it's like beating your head against the wall trying to write and quality check your own work when you don't have absolute knowledge of this one subject. And and I mean, I guess that takes us into the the further points of it. But um, my my overall stance on theme nights are uh, they should be their own thing and not a replacement for general knowledge trivia. I would absolutely agree with you on that, Jeff. I don't think you're going to find anybody opposed to you yeah, here. No one's going to disagree. <laughs> no, and you guys, on. you guys both uh, sort of brought it up, and it kind of dovetails with something that I think comes up in every episode, no matter what the topic is, is, is figuring out how to marry our desires and our wants and our sanity as hosts and writers and people that have to deal with the SMEs who show up and are assholes um, with the needs of the business and the fact that, you know, bar owners don't, really realize what they're asking or they don't care what they're asking. Um, and it sounds like you guys, the yeah. trick, the trick for me is I just said, I'm not going to do it. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like you guys have had to take a slightly more measured approach with your venue owners. 
Yeah, it's a fine, fine tightrope to walk for sure. Go ahead, Jeff. I I, I was just gonna say, um, and I, honestly, before I say this, I don't I don't mean any disrespect at all to my venue. I absolutely love the people that I work with there, but they are a part of a larger chain or family of bars. Uh, and so a lot of decisions are made way above the heads of the people that I see on a daily basis. So before I say anything, uh, I want everyone to know that it has nothing to do with my venue. I very much love them and they are very loving and caring people that also care about how the night goes. But that said, um, when I first started, there was an issue that I don't remember what it was. That's not good radio. That's that's so awesome not- radio. Keep keep awkwardly <laughs> silencing your way. You tell stories this. like I do. Yeah, like, fuck the details, man. Okay, so I I am recalling exactly what happened, but due to it being, uh, it, it's none of my business. I'll just get into that. It's none of my business what occurred, but there was a situation where a sentence was uttered to me that was terrifying, and I have ever since remembered that thing and. It was, if you're not able to do trivia this week, we can find somebody to do it. And it, and it wasn't a threat. It was mm-hmm. just the, the very casual, the very casual, if you can't, we'll find somebody who will do what we ask them. Yep. Yikes. Type of sense of that, of that sentence. It, uh, I want to reiterate, it was not a threat towards me. There were other things occurring that was going to stop my game from occurring that all got settled and nothing happened. But the way that that sentence was thrown around by uh, one of the very first managers that I had a pleasure of working with. And I, and I mean that honestly, he was a really good guy, but the way that he said that, because that came down from above him, that absolutely terrified me. So when they said, why don't we do theme nights? And I said, that might be a good idea, especially if we could schedule it. People could remember that it's always going to be the first Wednesday of the week or the first Wednesday, not the first Wednesday of the week. That's every Wednesday, but the first Wednesday of the month, always theme night. So you could guarantee that that's the night that we're going to be talking about, not general knowledge. Uh, and that, you know, I'd announce them way in advance so that if you didn't want to come on that night, you'd know and you wouldn't show up and hope for general knowledge and it'd be something else. That's that's a big issue for me is is taking care of the regulars that come on a on a weekly basis, and they said why don't we not do that and do that another thing? And I said okay, because I didn't want to not have a job. Right, right. So, so you kind of have to, you kind of just have to go with the flow sometimes, depending on how the how the venue wants to see things. And uh, Aaron, I I don't remember exactly your wording, but it's like you try to you try to tell them, and if they decide that that's what they want, you either have to do what they want or you have to not have that job yep. anymore. Fun with me a contractor. Yeah. And it's yeah, it, it it definitely stinks, but that that is the the reality of I I don't want to call it a gig economy, but that's really what we are. We we go and fill needs where those needs reach out to us and say, hey, we want to do this or where we find a job through, you know, pounding the pavement. Mm-hmm. But you know, if a venue decides that it wants to make a bad decision, there's nothing you could do to stop that sometimes. So speaking of senses that make your blood run cold, like uh, we can Mm. find someone else, you said it by accident, but I think if we hit the point in 2020 where we're using phrases like first Wednesday, uh, in seriousness, I can quit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, okay. You don't like doing them. It's scary, but sometimes you do them if you have to. But once you've got to the point where you are doing one, um, what's the process that y'all use to get there? Because I'm always inundated with people who are like, you should do this and you should do that. And like I said, I just say no. Uh, but y'all don't have that kind of luxury. So how do you pick and choose? And then once you've decided, how do you figure out 
how to write questions that don't make people either angry or sad. Well, I guess let's first break into like uh, fandom games that work, fandom games that don't, the ones that get requested and the ones that you do kind of as a passion project. So as for me, we've done, I guess, what you'd call all the heavy hitters at this point. And I fought them. I fought them, man, long and hard. But now I have to admit we've done Harry Potter. We've done Marvel. We've done Game of Thrones. We've done romantic comedies. We've done Friends. We've done Seinfeld. We've done The Office. We've done Parks and Rec. All these TV shows and movie genres and pop culture things that bring out a rabid, rabid fan base. And the problem is everybody's doing it. Anybody who is doing these fandom-centric theme nights, they're doing the big five. They're doing Disney, which I didn't mention earlier. They're doing Harry Potter. They're doing Seinfeld. They're doing Friends, Sex in the City, all this stuff, because it's what's drawing successfully in the marketplace. Uh, and what I've noticed, and I don't know how canonically I want to state this, but what I've noticed is, generally speaking, if you find a fandom that is largely comprised of women from the ages of 25 to 45, you have theme night trivia gold, which is why my Harry Potter night, and my Disney night absolutely blow up. But when I did, uh, when I attempted to do, you know, Arrested Development, nobody showed up for it. So it becomes, oh, yeah, I still have yet to run the Arrested Development game I wrote a year and a half ago. Oh, I would have played it. So. I, I would love to put it on stream. I keep putting it up for a poll, which I guess answers another question you uh, had was, how do you decide what themes to do? In large part, I bring it to, to, the, to the masses on social media. I say, hey, um, suggest some themes. You know, vote up the ones you like. I need to know what's going to bring you out so I can go to my venue or a client venue uh, or potential client venue and say, hey, I think this theme is going to draw people because I guess I should state that uh, my model works a little differently than Jeff's does in the sense that I am not replacing or being forced to replace any of my general knowledge trivia events with themes. Uh, these are kind of a secondary offering on an off night that I provide just to fill gaps in their entertainment schedule and mine. Um, you know, we broke into it about two years ago and it's still very kind of experimental, but this seems to be the model that works for me. So I'm in a sense selling the idea to the venue. And there are ideas that I would love to do that I think would bring out fun people and it'd be fun to write. But if Harry Potter is going to bring out twice as many people and the bar owner thinks to suggest Harry Potter, guess what I'm doing that night? Yeah, you're not going to bring it up. I'm whipping a wand out. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm, yeah. I'm under no obligation to bring it up, but uh, it, that is to say it, it comes up often. And I've done all these kind of rehashed on our streams now because I know they're successful and because I'm you know desperately strapped for content these days. When um, going back to what you said about uh, the age groups of the, the people that come out for theme nights the most, you're abso absolutely correct. The, the Like I said earlier, the Friends Night that I held was by far my busiest theme night or not not theme night my busiest trivia night that i've ever had in a bar ever we ran out of space there was no mm -hmm. space for more people uh and we had teams of you know 10 10 people eight people all with you know matching shirts or yep. you know it was like all the all the girls from a family all went out for a night and stuff and i i loved the fact that i was able to get those people out but conversely like i said with feast or famine we had uh I had a 
a segment that I did for a little while called Beat the Geeks, where mm-hmm. each of the teams that was a regular got to pick a theme night that they wanted to focus on. And they they're for them getting to pick the theme, they didn't play to win anything. They played for, I bought them a bucket of beer, essentially. Uh, and th- the goal was they were going to get as high a score as they could. And if anybody beat their score, their prize money would double for that night. So if the first place team came in first and they beat, not tied, but beat the geeks, mm-hmm. they would then get a $100 gift card instead of $50 That's gift card. I thought idea. that was really fun. That is a really neat right? idea, for sure. Yeah, I thought it was a good way to get the themes uh, chosen by the guests. Uh, and then that way it wouldn't be super unfair. Like some of them were, some were really tough. There's one team that was bugging me about a Seinfeld theme since the day I started. And I knew that no one was going to beat them. They played an absolutely perfect game. They didn't miss anything that I asked. And I'm like, well, no one's going to beat them. I know that. So right. it's not even a risk. <laughs> but one of the teams chose Breaking Bad. And I said, that's fantastic. I absolutely love that show. I could write a billion Breaking Bad questions. I could write, you know, 10 questions per episode. I love that show. This will be great. So and many it was people are going to come. Popular. It is it is hands down the best television show that has ever existed. I Ooh. love that show. This is going to be awesome. One of these awesome. days we will talk about that, but uh for now, <laughs> continue. But uh what ended up happening was that night we had the geeks who played very well that night. I think I only got them on a couple different questions. Uh, And then four other teams. And we have three prizes that we give out. Oh, So nobody beat the Geeks that night. But everybody that played, with the exception of one team, took home gift cards. Because only five teams, maybe a total of about 20, 25 people total, showed up. Which, uh, for the record, that's about a quarter to a fifth of what I normally draw on a regular Wednesday night or even a regular theme night. That's that, that is a, a scarily low, low point. Like I might not have a job the week after that scary. Right. And that's, it's a weird thing because like I said, that is a TV show that was very, very popular and very well received. And you would think that it would draw people out. Yeah. And, And and you just cannot predict that. Like you said with the rest of development, it has a fervent following. But are those the type of people that will specifically go to a bar for a rest of development trivia night? And the answer is maybe. No. The answer and was you, you no. Don't, I'll tell you right now. Yeah. No for you, for sure. But it, it might be different. It might not. And that and that's really the risk that you run. Like when Jeremy was talking about that he wrote a Brooklyn Nine-Nine game, I would love to have played that. But I don't know if that would be enough as a player to get me out of the house to go to an event. Whereas I know I can convince my friends like, uh, this is dumb and nobody would ever, ever, ever have this as a theme night. But if they had like, a 80s British metal band slash <laughs> skateboard companies from the late 90s theme night, me and all my high school friends would be like, let's go to the bar. <laughs> like, that would absolutely me get, give me my seat. oddly specific? But it is oddly specific. You're right. I mean, a lot of that comes down to how much lead time do you have and how willing is your venue to kind of partner with you on marketing? Because it is very yeah. much a bi-directional street. You do what you can do on social media and, and talking to your regulars or anything to, to let them know it's coming up. But the venue has a stake in it and should act as such. I will let you know, um, I was very excited to start partnering with a local uh, chain out my way that um, 
wanted to bring me in to kind of test drive our format for theme trivia nights. They were considering changing up their their entertainment and they wanted me to figure out a date and a theme that they approved on a month in advance so that they could spend an entire calendar month in their venue promoting the event. That's the dream. They put up spe- yeah, they put up special drinks. They talked to their um vendors and everything about putting together unique thematic prizes. It was a Harry Potter theme. So they had uh butterbeer, they had four different house drinks. Uh, they gave discounts all month to people who showed up in Harry Potter swag. They they went absolutely balls to the wall, and I loved them for it. But it just goes to show that that night we pulled, I think, 23 teams uh, in a venue that's off the beaten path that we had never done work in before on a theme we had done before without that big of a draw because it was a partnership. Uh, the whole time it wasn't them pushing me to do a thing and me pushing back and suggesting a different way. Uh, we were very open-ended in our conversations and kind of met a mutual middle ground about the best way we could do it. And they brought a lot of good ideas to the table. So it was a privilege to work with somebody who kind of looked at it from that perspective. I, I think one of the things that that gets forgotten a ton is that when you start delving into these real, real fandom ones, and I'm not talking about the big, the big name droppers, like um we all know like the four or five theme nights that every bar has. I, I mean, I think I've been to like seven office trivias. Yep. Office, uh, Friends, Harry Potter, Disney, Marvel. Yeah. yeah. Those are the yeah, big five. Those are the big ones. And then you have something like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Like Jeremy said, he he had helped written uh, a Brooklyn Nine-Nine game. Like those ones are so far off the beaten path in terms of you don't know if it's going to draw people, Mm -hmm. but those, I think that the people that would go to those would absolutely be excited, especially speaking as a, someone who is a fan of a bunch of dumb stuff. Like, you know, you know, if, if somebody said, (laughs) I mean, now that it's on Netflix again, there's a lot more people that have seen it. But if somebody said like a few months ago, Hey, there's an avatar, the last airbender trivia, let's go, let's go play. I'd be like, yep, yep, for sure. Let's absolutely go do that. Um, But I don't know if that would be without the marketing that you were talking about and the, you, you have to have somebody that you're working with with that. And even if there's like 30 people that would really, really appreciate that, you have to make sure that all 30 of those people hear about it, you know, and are willing and able to come. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's the that's the really the really hit or miss part with theme nights is that they can they could really end up being the death of you, especially in my case where I have to substitute a regular general knowledge mm-hmm. night where I'm taking the 20, 25 teams that show up on an average week and say, you know that thing that you keep coming back for, we don't have that tonight. We're gonna do something else. And that something else is apparently my favorite TV show that nobody wants to play trivia about. <laughs> and, and, and then nobody comes. Uh, and how you deal with something like that, especially how the venue deals with something like that. It, it, it's a unique situation for me to be in because of, uh, like you said, you're not substituting when you do theme nights. It's an addition to something you're already doing. Um, but that that's always been my big holdout to doing the theme nights the way that we do them is... 
Uh, a lot of my regular teams are troopers and they'll come play games that they know they have no chance of winning and they just want to be out with their friends. And I absolutely love and adore them for that. And you guys know who you are. <laughs> uh, the the teams that come on Futurama Night and give me answers to friends' questions. I love you. <laughs> I love you so much for that. Uh, but when you are talking about it logistically from a business perspective, um, you want to try and get people in the door. And end of the day, unless yeah, that's your job. Yeah, unless you're just rehashing the six greatest hits, you know, like it's like going to see a band at the state fair. Like, you know exactly the songs they're going to play. Like when I go see Foreigner <laughs> at the state fair, I know exactly what their set list is. They're not playing you new hits. They're playing you the same six songs that you've heard on the radio seven times already. Right, right. And when you try to when you try to reach out to speak to those fandoms where they don't have trivia nights, you know, or um, I'm trying to think of the most obscure trivia night that I've done. Yeah, I'm trying to think of mine, too. And Arrested Development, I think, is is the one that that comes to mind. There were two that I've done that didn't land. Essentially, I've done Arrested Development uh, and I've done adult cartoons. Which is, you know, oh, things like South Park and Futurama yeah. and King of the Hill and Rick and Morty. It was just a hodgepodge of cartoons that were written with an adult audience in mind. And I think that one was either too confusingly marketed or was so broad that it didn't bring out any super fans. Yeah. Oh, you know, I, I thought I think my most as silly as it sounds, my most obscure one actually was fairly popular, but I think it would be the most narrow would be Chicago. I did a Chicago sports night where there's only five teams I could talk about the entire night. I mean, I did talk about like MLS stuff and stuff, but I mean, like for the most part, I only right. talked about pro sports uh, from the big four. And so that's a really narrow field of, you have to be really into this one thing um, to, to want to be there. And there was still plenty of, you know, cause it pretty much just drew all the sports players. But it was a really narrow field comparatively to when I do one of my other theme games. Well, that that brings me uh, really quick to point out that, yeah, the big thing you have uh, with fandom games versus just general knowledge games is you can go into a venue that, you know, um, maybe you haven't been in before or a lot of your regular teams aren't at. And you can convince random diners or patrons that, hey, it's trivia night. We're asking questions about everything. Give it a shot. And you can convince them to do it. But if it's 50 questions about sex in the city and you're in a sports bar, you're not going to convince anybody who wasn't explicitly there to play to play. So there's yeah. no real opportunity for growth other than what you can do kind of in advance. I've had a couple I've had a couple that that would have gone over well, but I think went over better due to timing. Like um, I did my big my biggest MCU one was. Uh, I think a week after Endgame, uh, like, you know, like right after like the, the biggest amount of fervor of the Marvel Cinematic mm -hmm. Universe, that's that's when I, I did that one. And then I also did my Game of Thrones. I did my Game of Thrones one, uh, I want to say like a week before the finale, before like I should say <laughs> without getting further into it, the last season was just shit after the second episode but yeah but uh there was still a lot of people talking about it and so that was a that and that was another fun game where i took a different turn on the game i had 
something that I did where I knew it was going to draw people that know a ton, like word for word, all of the stuff from the books, let alone mm-hmm. just the show. So what I did is I had a fun game where when the team signed up, I made them choose a uh, great house to support. And if they didn't want to pick a great house, uh, they could take the black. And if you took the black five times or six or it was maybe eight, I think there was twice, uh, twice around. I don't remember. Whatever. Uh, multiple times you had to answer harder versions of those same questions and in order to get the correct answer. And when I give a correct answer, you just get it right or you get it wrong. There's no points or anything involved mm-hmm. until I do the math at the end. And so essentially by giving yourself a harder challenge, if you won and you took the black, you got a extra bonus prize from the bar. I believe it was like a two-hour happy hour party on a Sunday, which was a really cool thing to, to – I could offer that to some teams and say, hey, look, if you guys really know your shit, and I mean really know it, you could take the black and answer harder questions than everybody else for the goal of maybe winning this extra prize at the end. But you had to have the highest score of everybody that took the black. So what that did is it took the heavy hitter teams that had a lot of confidence in themselves. Of course, they're going to do that Mm because they want two hours of free drinks on a Sunday. Who doesn't want that? I want that right now. (laughs) And it's first Wednesday. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. First (laughs) Wednesday of the week. So it, 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 took those teams that would have absolutely beat up on the casual walker watchers and and gave them a bit of a stumbling block where they wouldn't have to deal with it so for example um one of the question variables would be like uh the people of uh, uh westeros most of them follow the seven gods i want you to name three of the seven gods if you took the black name all seven you know, so it's essentially the same question, but a much harder version of that same question. Or, you know, like what house, you know, what is the sigil of House Stark? Also, what is the sigil of House, you know, whatever, some Tully random or, nonsense. Or whatever, yeah. 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 Like, so, you know, I mean, that one would even be too easy for that. Like, because that, that, you know, that's uh, a pretty well known a pretty well-known house, but, but you get the idea, you know, you know, a tough, a much harder version of that. So that would throw a wrench in the works. And I thought that that was a really good way to kind of deal with some of the nightmares that you get working with, um, (laughs) working with crowds that are intrinsically better at a specific subject than everything else. So let me ask you on that, on that note, Jeff, um, and yeah, I'm going to derail your whole train because uh, there's uh, stuff right. that, that I know that we have to get into in here. Um, derail so away. We, we've all established that there are subjects that we're really good at and there are subjects where we are ostensibly the dumbest person in the room, depending on the room. <laughs> yeah. On those themes, how do you come up with questions? Um, a lot of times when I'm doing those things, I will try if I'm able I will try to absorb the entirety of that thing. Sometimes that's easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, for example, um, a show I really like, uh, The Good Place. I just watched that when it was on. Um, I really enjoyed it. But it's only four seasons, and it's all out now. So if somebody wanted to do a, a Good Place trivia and I had never seen it before, that's easy to work your way through. It's not that bad. You could probably do it over the course of a week if you just have some time to sit on your couch, which we've all had some time to sit on our couch recently. Fair but enough. if it's 
Yeah, if it's something like Friends, where it's 10 seasons of 22 episodes a season, and I can't get through a single episode of that show because I dislike it, <laughs> that it makes it really hard. And you have to fall back on the no-nos of our job that we save for the bare minimum, like you have to go trolling for internet quizzes. In case and of emergency, break out Chrome, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and... And you, it, it creates so much more work for you because not only do you have to, you have to trust that whoever wrote it is not an is not a muppet and that they got their information correct. A lot of them are perfectly acceptable mm-hmm. in terms of is it true or not that this is a fact, you know. But sometimes um, you have ones written with really poor wording that are maybe yep. confusing, and you have to, and then you have to go to four different Wikia pages to double check on it, and it's just. A nightmare to try and gauge it. There's a few websites that have difficulty gauges, like in terms of the people that have taken this and the number of people that have gotten questions correct. Sporkle has a really good one mm-hmm. on their answers correct page, but they so rarely do just general knowledge trivia. It's always lists or something like that. Right. Um, there's a few other ones that have like, oh, this one is an average uh, quiz. I don't remember. It might be like random trivia or something like that. But I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, you 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 have to you have to quality test without ever having ever seen the show, and that is absolutely insanity that that <laughs> that that's a thing that we have to do. But you know, the good thing about Friends, and this is the only thing you'll ever hear me say <laughs> that's a good thing about Friends, is that it is so pervasive in the trivia world that there are endless amounts of questions and you Mm -hmm. just have to go you just have to go digging and so that's not too bad because it's such a big fandom that there's anytime that anybody says anything wrong it gets pointed out immediately so it's not a question of fact checking that one it's a question of is this question right for my audience and since i have done the friends theme a total of one time um and I knew that friends players tend to be like traveling players. Like yep. they go find friends trivia wherever it's at. Uh, so I wanted to write questions that weren't those questions. So friends, I actually had to work really, really hard to rewrite, to rewrite question. Quest- I can't talk right now, guys, because I, because I'm so mad about this. Um, <laughs> what did Chandler do to you? Damn. <laughs> nothing. Uh, uh, but that's Mrs. Chenandler Bong. Um, <laughs> oh, God, it is. And I know that now are. because of theme games. <laughs> but uh, I had to work really hard to to take other questions and pivot. That's another Friends reference. Them into – to to turn them into something they may not have heard before. Because I didn't want to just present them with the internet quiz that they took last week. Or anything like that. you know, And so – it becomes a tremendous amount of work. And I think one of the things that we've talked about on this show that that might be the biggest surprise to a lot of people is that our jobs are really hard work sometimes. And we work really hard at trying to get the best show possible, the best foot forward. Um, and then you add on something like doing a theme night or especially a theme that you're not what super well versed in mm-hmm. it makes our jobs so much infinitely harder because we're trying to keep up that same level of quality and we're trying to prevent provide our guests with a really good experience that they haven't gotten anywhere else and i you know 
I tried to do that with gimmicks like, you know, take the black or when I did the Harry Potter one, I had the teams pick uh, which house they wanted to be in, you know, silly things like that. But at the I mean, end of the day, silly, just, those are awesome, man. Yeah, it, it's at the end of the day, overall, they're just a much harder beast to wrangle than just regular trivia writing for sure. So, yeah, I think uh, the one thing that we haven't really addressed here in, in the sense of figuring out how to source questions is, yeah, you can become an expert yourself. You can go uh, online to random strangers or, or random quizzes or whatever. Um, something that I have found recently, uh, especially when we moved uh, to the online space, was if I want to do a game and a friend or a regular of mine is really passionate about that game existing, they will volunteer to write it. Huh. And they will come in. They will sit in there. They will act like the the subject matter expert I need for them to be because I don't friggin' know. Uh, and it gives them, I hate to say this, a sense of um, pride and accomplishment Yeah. Uh, in seeing their work done. So I think that's something that, I mean, hosts out there, if you find yourself kind of behind the eight ball and you need to come up with you know, a 40, 50, 60 question game on relatively short notice on a subject matter you don't know, don't hesitate to ask a friend who, you know, has friends who like friends. Yeah. Friends and let friends watch friends. Agreed wholeheartedly. <laughs> nice. So I think that's about enough of the uh, Jeff and Jason show. Should we move on to something that involves all of us and get into our keyword Hooray. challenge for the night? Sounds good to me. Excellent. So, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're eight episodes in. Um, I'll quickly reiterate how this works. Uh, people have sent me random words. I am going to randomly pick one. We are all going to figure it out together. And then we are going to spend 10 minutes uh, during this break writing the single best trivia question we can uh, that somehow connects to the random word, phrase, or name that came into us. Uh, your votes afterwards on our uh, Twitter page or on our website, quadriviapodcast.com, will decide who won for the week. And at some point, maybe we'll release that information. What do you think, guys? Well, I, I do think that um, if somehow Corey wins tonight. Oh, I swear to God, if Corey <laughs> this is rigged. <laughs> so are you guys ready for this week's keyword? <laughs> Yeah, please. All right. Well, this keyword uh, comes to us from Cheyenne, who wants us to know that he is from Earth. <laughs> okay. And the uh, keyword is Kale Sanderson. Yeah, that's Kale Sanderson. C-A-E-L Sanderson. Out of curiosity, uh, Jeremy, Aaron, Jeff, do any of you know who and or what Kale Sanderson not is? Not a clue. I, I have I seen not. the name, but I could not tell you. Like, as soon as, as, soon as I saw it spelled out, I'm like, oh, I've seen that name somewhere. Excellent, because in 10 minutes, when we come back, we are all going to be subject matter experts <laughs> on Kale Sanderson. So uh, good luck to you guys. This is where we're going to part ways, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Hey, everyone. Jason here. While the host and I step away to think about our keyword challenge, we just wanted to remind you that you can check us out online at Quadrivia Pod on Twitter. On Facebook, just search for Quadrivia Podcast. And you can always email us at quadriviapod at gmail.com. We're always happy to hear from you. And now, back to the show. Okay, we are back from our question writing for the keyword challenge this week. Um, I guess I will jump in and present mine, and then, because uh, I'm just going to be like that. 
Jason and Jeff got to take the oh, mic. Oh, you and, think uh, you've got a good one? Yeah. Huh? Now I don't know if it's a good one, but uh, you know, we let you guys uh kind of have the first half of the episode, so I- I'm gonna be a uh, needy little uh, douchebag. You can say it. Yeah, needy little douchebag here, and uh, <laughs> I'm gonna go first. So here is my question with our, about our keyword. Not to be confused with something you might put in a salad, Kale Sanderson is the current head wrestling coach at Penn State. There's a reason he was sought out for the position, as he is also an Olympic gold medalist. He definitely wasn't perfect throughout his entire career, but if you add up his total wrestling matches during his college years, you get a total of 159. Within two, how many of those 159 were wins? I know this one. (laughs) (laughs) Ten minutes ago, I had no effing idea, but I know this one. I'm confident, guys. If you're willing to let me lock in for the team here... I'm super willing. Jason, I I have no idea who this is, and I'm going to give you the reins on this one. I trust you, brother. You got it. All right. Well, I'm I'm assuming that if I say 157, then I am douchely correct, according to the way uh, Jeremy wrote it. But uh, he is is undefeated at 159 and 0, which is why I'm pretty sure Cheyenne has made him the subject for our keyword challenge. That is correct. That was my uh, douchey trick question. (laughs) I like it. I like it, too. I love a good DTQ every now and then. I was thinking of maybe going higher with the number, like within 10, so it throws people off. Like, oh, maybe I'll go like 140, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I almost wrote this same question, as, essentially, as I was going through my research. I'm like, well, uh, we're, we're talking about, you know, a very niche athlete and one that isn't necessarily very well known publicly. So digging into like the details of how to make an interesting question. One of my first thoughts was, well, he's undefeated. Not a lot of people might know he's undefeated. So maybe I'll write the way that you did basically, Jeremy, and and give a range. Cause uh, whenever you're going to give a number question where the number isn't like general knowledge, I highly recommend you always give some kind of range uh, the way you did. But I'm really glad now, uh, all of a sudden, that I didn't go that route, so uh, that you can take the fall for the math question, Jeremy. Sweet. I I think that that's actually a a fun point to talk about, too, is the range on that question is a bit of a clue. If he wrestled 159 times, or uh, you said um, 159 matches, I don't remember the exact wording, Mm. but to say within two as a trivia player, that means that one of two things happened. He either had a phenomenally good record or a phenomenally bad record. When you have such a small window mm-hmm. of wibble wobble, you know, that means that the number he is known for is something that you could that you should know. It's either all of them, like something really nice and round, like a hundred, or zero. And there's no reason that he would be a wrestling coach if it was zero. So that narrows right. it down a little bit. To, you know, even if you are completely unfamiliar with wrestling as a sport, just the the number two as your plus or minus two gives you at least a little bit more to work on. If everything else that in the question is just gobbledygook nonsense that you don't have anything, any knowledge, you know, floating around in your punch bowl, just that alone is enough to help you maybe find your way. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, I like a, the meta that's a really good call on that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess, Jeremy, the question becomes, would you be open to a little bit of helpful, constructive criticism about how you could maybe write this in a way that doesn't have a big tip off, like Jeff pointed out? Of course. Uh, I would, if, if I were going to do this, and that feedback came into me, because I don't know that I would have realized that instantly, I would probably remove the uh, point out that he wrestled in 159 matches. I'd probably also remove the fact uh, that he 
you know, is undefeated from being kind of metagessable in there, and just simply ask how many wins he accrued with a range of, you know, let's say 10 uh, over his college career. And then that isn't so much reading the question to figure out an answer that makes sense. It does take the outside knowledge of understanding how, like, the NCAA wrestling season works, and then the guessable knowledge that, hey, Kale Sanderson is probably very good at wrestling, so let's assume he won most of these, uh, and then go from there. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, in my game, uh, wrestling that isn't involved uh, with, like, tights and people named McMahon uh, <laughs> is, not a huge, is not a huge thing that people care about too much. <clears throat> so knowing the total number of matches would be a way harder get um, so I absolutely would use Jeremy's wording on that because okay. I like I like the game theory of being able to work your way into that by using the gimme on both sides. Um, but that's because I wouldn't write this as a harder level question. I would absolutely if I was going to use this, I would use it as something earlier in the rounds where if you miss it, it wouldn't be totally detrimental to your to overall point health. Right. Uh, and but it would be gettable with game the like something that you could use with outside context to get it because and we can you know we can go back and forth on difficulty levels and approaches to things all day but i think that there's something really good to be said about the way that you the the constructive criticism that you offered by saying if you want to make it a harder question where you have to know knowledge from this range of things like collegiate re collegiate wrestling schedules and how their season works or if you want to make it more approachable and kind of a fun fact that people can maybe game their way through the other way works perfectly well i think yeah, I the agree best thing There's... about the question best thing about the question the kale joke Absolutely. <laughs> hands down <laughs> yeah, to your point, there's obviously no wrong way of those two approaches to write this unless Aaron here uh, agrees that my approach was better. So Aaron, <laughs> agree with me no. or present a question of your own. <laughs> I I will I will do not the third thing. No, I like the way Jeremy did it. And I think it's a good point that it just depends. I mean, if you're asking this question to a bunch of people who wrestled in college, then it's not unreasonable to say over his career in college how many matches. But like, I don't have any idea how many matches are in a college season. And I, so yeah, I think it's, it's, it depends on how bad you want your players to feel about themselves, which <laughs> for me is always not so bad. They never come back, but bad enough that they try to do better next time. And this is one for Hard the teams that thread. wouldn't get it. This is where I get booed and that's the best part. <laughs> that too, yeah. yeah. And I, I do, I do love the occasional DTQ. It's something I've started doing in my own games Yay. because A, I feed on people suffering and B it's, I I like that people are paying attention to what I'm saying, which is part an ego thing and part just like a, hey, assholes, I'm making this for you. The least you can do is pay attention. If you don't pay attention, I'm going to penalize you for it. So yeah. listen up. Oh, I like your <laughs> approach on that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like trivia dominatrix. It's not nearly <laughs> as exciting as it sounds, and uh, it doesn't pay very well. My question goes like this. Uh, I left out the vegetable pun, and I'm sorry. Kale Sanderson <laughs> is a former collegiate and international wrestler who now coaches for Penn State. But in 1998, he became the first freshman in NCAA tournament history to be named NCAA Wrestling Team Championship's Outstanding Wrestler. It's no surprise then that after graduating college, he went on to win gold at the next Olympic Games, which were held in what city? 
Ooh, that is a backdoor entry into an Olympic knowledge question. Surprise! Math question. <laughs> uh, no, sir. I almost asked you guys, because he wrestles an 84-kilogram wrestler, I almost asked you guys to tell me what that was in pounds. But I didn't, because <laughs> I like you. I could give it to you in, like, feet, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I I really appreciate your approach on that, because mm-hmm. w- one of the things that I don't think that... Um, I've mentioned in the in the couple episodes that we've been in together is the the really roundabout way that you get from our keyword to something that is presentable to your specific audience in your voice. You do a really good job of going down a bunch of different pathways to get to something different. In this case, you're offering a ton of extra information about a wrestler that maybe nobody from Richmond uh, is into it all. I, I mean, I don't know how popular college wrestling is in Richmond, nope. <laughs> um, but you're you are giving them an entry point into this person has a very interesting career that started in 1998. What Olympics would he have been in? And that's a totally different thing to make your brain do because you go down this one avenue for a second and then you just right turn down a street that nobody's expecting. But once you get there, you're like. I see what's happening now. Like I understand the route that I'm being led down. And then at that point, it's just trying to figure out at what point and where that Olympics was being held. Well, yeah. thank you. Yeah. If you don't have whiplash and like a third of a boner, at least I haven't done my job. <laughs> no, I really, I really want to give props to the fact that there is definitely an element of RTFQ in your question as I look at oh, it yeah. here. Because <laughs> if you just quickly glance at Wrestler, 1998, graduating college, gold at the next Olympic Games. You're like, okay, so the next Olympics that happened after 1998 was 2000, and that's Sydney, and bam, I nailed it. Except, but you didn't. He go to he went to college for four years. I would have skipped over the part where he was a freshman in 1998. So there is yep. absolutely an element of read the fucking question in this six degrees of Aaron Barkley level uh, <laughs> journey that we've gone down. Yeah. I, I, I very much it. like that question. That's I hate that yes. I love it. It's it is peak, Aaron. <laughs> uh, I I'm proud of you. Well, thanks. Well, get psyched because we got ten more of them coming up. Do oh, you good. guys know where those Olympics were held? Because no one has said the answer yet. Oh, no, um, yeah. Athens. We should probably Athens, talk about right? that. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. It, it's Athens. Yeah, that yeah, would be the 2004. The funny thing is, I skipped right over it. But in my head, when you asked the question, I'm like, well, it's 2004. I think that's Athens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I'm like, See, it's hard because they started going over it. My head, I'm like, was it Athens? Crap! It, it's hard <laughs> sure because it we've all looked at the same sources and done all the same research. So trying to go into this and looking at it and knowing that as soon as that came up, I'm like, oh yeah, no, he he was in Athens. I just read this. Um, we sometimes forget that we have to say it out loud because it's a podcast. So thank you, Aaron. <laughs> right? Well, like I said, I I just looked at how many he won, uh, and I, I went towards the college route. Uh, to change it up, like I said, you know, kind of make it a harder question, but if you read the question, you could figure it out. And she went to the Olympics, I'm like, I skipped right over, I know he won the medal, I forgot what Olympics it was. Like, I didn't, I didn't focus on that at all, so, like, now well, I have to, I have to source this out. Way to not read the full Kale Sanderson biography, Jeremy, Jesus. I know. And it's, you know, part of the goal is your teammates talk to each other. So someone might not know where the Olympics were in 2004, but that same person might not catch that he was a freshman, or might not know that, you know... I don't know. Everyone knows. Well, not everyone, but you know, it's sort of a, a default assumption that you go to college for four years. So, well, mm-hmm. and then remind me, did you, you know? say Summer Olympics or did you just say Olympics? 
Uh, I said Olympics, but wrestling is a summer Olympics. Yeah, right. So that, that's sport. also another thing you have to keep in mind. That's true. Yeah. People might think, well, wrestling in, in school, it's winter. It is a winter sport. Oh, that's true. Oh, yeah. But they don't wear a lot of clothes that. when they wrestle, so it's, it's a <laughs> Well, I mean, it's, it's indoors, but it's a, it is absolutely a winter sport for, for yeah, schools. Yeah, I know. So, I mean, <laughs> no, again. No, go, just regulate. Yeah. I'm sorry, Jeremy. I didn't no, I'm just saying that's you. why it's a good question, though. There were things nice. you had to suss out out of the question. Was, you got to earn it. Yeah. Because you guys have hit the, uh, the, the win-loss record. You've hit the Olympic medal. I think I take this, or I took this, uh, in a different direction. So let's try to challenge you guys on something maybe you didn't see in your research. Uh, here's mine. According to the winningest college wrestler in NCAA history, Cale Sanderson, who amassed an unbelievable 159-0 record en route to four national championships, an Olympic gold medal, and a coaching career that has earned him eight more national championships. Quote, the hardest part about going undefeated is doing what? That's a tough question. Because the smartass in me wants to say not losing. Uh, but <laughs> it, could, it could be. This could be like a DTQ adjacent question. I was going to say... I was going to just keep the, the sex joke train rolling and say the hardest part about going undefeated is all the blowjobs. I was going to say my penis, but that works too. <laughs> well, yeah. Or the hardest part about going undefeated is uh, being just so damn good. Mm-hmm. I like, I think it was Jeff that said it. I like the almost Yogi Berra-ism of it. Like, it's like my parents' marriage advice. Sometimes you just got to stay married, which let's not unpack that right now because it's 1230 <laughs> in the morning. But like, just, it's notable because it's, such a silly thing to say, but also a true thing to say. Well, that's fair. Now, remind me, Jeff, what did what did you uh, finish the quote with so I can kind of judge you accordingly? <laughs> the hardest part of staying undefeated is not losing, because that sounded like something my grandfather would say. <laughs> and you know what? As the author and judge on this question, I would give you credit on that. The full quote is, the hardest part about going undefeated is winning all your matches. <laughs> it was very it, much huh. a Yogi Berra-esque quote that uh kale sanderson that's said, fantastic uh, that's yeah. a wonderful quote yeah I like uh, it. and that's yeah that's really good and that's a fun a, as a trivia question that kind of that's one of those ones that makes you think it's just like using um the math that aaron did or the two as the gimme on mm-hmm. the on the things like how is this relatable to trivia? In what fashion would my trivia host be reading this to me? Now, things I know. One, Jason's a smartass. <laughs> Two, I don't absolutely know that this quote is really famous. So unless it's famous from something, it has to rely on Jason being fun as a host. So, you know, it's one of those ones that if you don't know it flat out, you could maybe work your way backwards just by knowing what you know about the host and his writing style. I, uh, honestly, it's a it's a fantastic question. That's a that's a fucking fantastic quote. The the hardest part about not losing is not losing. Like, I mean, can you say it any better than that? I can't. No, I was I really happy when I stumbled across across this quote in like a biography that I found online, and I'm like, finally, I have an access point that's going to take it away from like dry college sports knowledge yeah well that said let me tell you about the the 10 minutes that i spent because oh no i i did a thing where and here's a little behind behind the curtain for you when we set up these we 
we kind of have a general idea of who's going to go last. And I knew that I was going to go last tonight. Because of that and the subject matter, I said, I'm going to hedge my bets. And I wrote three questions just in case any of mine got covered by anybody else. Would anybody like to guess how many of my questions got covered by anybody else? Uh, All three. three. The answer is the opposite, and it is none of them. <laughs> wow. I, I wrote three questions that nobody touched on, at least in terms of where I was going with the questions. So what I will do is I will read you uh, a couple of them that I'm not going to use, and then one that I am going to use as my choice. And now I have to pick between my three children as which one I like the best. The reason I'm choosing this one will become apparent uh, in just a moment when I tell you why. So I'm going to start with this one, uh, which everybody should know the answer to now. Kale Sanderson is quite possibly one of the most dominant college-level athletes of all time, winning the Dan Hodge Trophy three times over his four years in school. In what sport did Kale Sanderson excel? And that one's a tough one because you kind of have to figure out what Dan Hodge Trophy or what the mm -hmm. Dan Hodge Trophy is for, or you have to recognize the name Kale Sanderson. So for sports people, especially with his career being just like a, a decade ago and still continuing on in Penn State, you know, maybe not too tough, but that's a pretty hard question. I think guessing wrestling as a sport is maybe not the way that you would go immediately. I think when I yeah, think that's... college sports, I think basketball, I think football, uh, and that's the end of the Yeah, list. that's kind of narrowly or... pinned in a sports category. So if you were doing yeah. a sports category, 100% fair game. Yeah, but that's a tougher question. Um, then there's this one, which I really like, but I think is in the same vein of might be not easy for people from not around my area. One of the greatest collegiate athletes of all time, you'll recognize I keep using that. <laughs> One of the greatest collegiate athletes of all time, Kale Sanderson was an unstoppable force on the wrestling mat. He racked up an impressive 159-0 record while wrestling for what Midwestern college? This college's athletic teams are known as the Cyclones, but their mascot is a Cardinal. And that's a, I think that's a tougher pull, especially for people not from the Midwest. Mm -hmm. um, because when you think of Midwestern colleges, Iowa State, which is the correct answer, is not, uh, not a name that gets bandied about very often. Um, so I saw Iowa State, and I was getting ready to write an Avengers question because of the Hawkeyes, and then ooh. I looked a little bit closer, and I'm glad I didn't. But yeah, that you're correct. That would yeah. not have played that easily. Uh, from someone that doesn't know college sports that well or doesn't yeah. live there. One of the things that's that's interesting to me is since uh, we live in Illinois and I went to ISU, uh, the ISU's next to us, uh, so uh, Iowa State University. It always I saw I'd see an ISU shirt that was also in red, and that also had a cardinal on. I'm like, wait a minute, what what are, what are you Cyclones? What is that? Like, <laughs> oh, that's the next state over. We're the ISU Redbirds. They're the ISU Cyclones, but they also have a Redbird. I don't really understand how that works but their mascot is a cardinal named Cy who lives at the top of a cyclone i always thought that was interesting but well, here whimsical yeah that one would play maybe okay to my crowd just because of our location uh definitely wouldn't do great at a national level unless you're a big wrestling fan yeah i'd agree with you uh, on that the local knowledge helps for sure but number three 
This is the this, real this one. is my choice. The real one for sure. One of the greatest collegiate athletes of all time. I can't even I can't even start it. <clears throat> one of the greatest collegiate athletes of all time, Kale Sanderson, racked up an undefeated record of 159 and 0 while wrestling at Iowa State. This feat, as amazing as it was, is still listed as the second most impressive collegiate sports feat by Sports Illustrated beaten only by what Ohio State athlete who broke four world records in a single hour? It's an amazing question, and I almost wrote it when I saw the same source <laughs> you did. So I'll yep. let uh, Aaron and Jeremy kind of talk through if they want to guess the answer on this. I mean, I could try to reason it out, just that the kind of records that are going to go down in a single hour would need to be like, one thing that ticks a lot of boxes or a kind of sport, a team sport where you can do several things in a single hour. You're not going to set, you know, four world records in uh, swimming or track and field or I don't know, in any, any other sport like that, just because you don't have time to do that in an hour. So I'd guess um, an Ohio state football player or baseball player, but my knowledge ends there. I can just offer a high level advice. Jeremy, you're up. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> sports is not my strong point, but particularly college sports. Um, so I, I don't, I don't even know who is an Ohio State alum, to be honest. I believe well, it's the Ohio State to you, sir. But that is literally <laughs> all I know. No, oh, I'll fight you on that as a Midwesterner, but you don't have to. I don't care. <laughs> I just see it on college football on TV. The if I give you an extra hint that along with these four world records that he broke in a single hour, this athlete also won four gold medals over seven days at the Berlin 1936 Olympic Games. Is that ringing any bells? Runner. Um, but I can't think yeah. of the name. I, I, I cannot was wrong. Think of I can't name. either. It's in my brain. Hold yep. on. Oh, I hate this so much. I cannot remember his name off the top of my head right now. And I'm yeah, pretty sure I'm I included not- him in a question once. Like, I, th- this record sounds familiar now. And I yeah. don't remember his name. I've definitely right. asked about him. Let him off the hook, Jeff. <laughs> I will reveal the answer in a quote from one of my favorite movies uh, that would be Blazing Saddles. And for my next impression, Jesse Owens. That's Jess- the guy. Jesse, Jesse Owens, Owens yep. is your correct answer. Uh, I have the the list of what he broke here. Uh, he broke the 100-yard dash, uh, and then, I'm sorry, uh, he equaled the 100-yard dash for 9.4 seconds. He, uh, he got the long jump with one point or 8.13 meters. Uh, he got the 220-yard dash in 20.3 seconds. Uh, he got the 220 low hurdles uh, for uh, 22.6 seconds. Um and all all of that, <laughs> it equals to about one world record every nine minutes over the events that he ran in the Big Ten Championships in 1935. So the year before he went to the Olympics and everybody learned his name because Hitler was not a fan, uh, in one hour, he broke four world records uh, in a single collegiate level event. And I thought that that, that was a really wild. fun way. Yeah, that that is... When you think about a hundred and fifty nine and O wrestling career through college, where he is undefeated in collegiate level and high school level wrestling, for that to be number two 
on a list that I, that made me go like, what the fuck is number one? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I didn't even know that this happened. I remember Jesse Owens as the guy from the Blazing Saddles quote and the guy that made Hitler mad at the Olympics. The, yeah. Those are the things I remember. And when you think about it from an athletic perspective, like 159 and 0, fine, but you are not doing these, like you're recovering between matches. You're, you know, I don't exactly. know how wrestling works, but you're not doing four in an hour. Like I dismissed it out of hand because that's crazy. Like I was a, a swimmer sprinter in high school and, you know, you get super keyed up, you do your race, the race lasts less than a minute, less than 30 seconds sometimes, but then you need to relax and refuel and stretch and get warm back up for your next race. Like mm-hmm. four races in an hour would be unheard of. Yeah. And that's, that's nuts. I love that fact. Yeah. Time, that's time a, that's is money, cool Aaron, and there was a depression on. And he was very <laughs> fast. He was very efficient with his time. So that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Ooh, ooh, do I get to push my uh, glasses up my nose and give Jeff an um, actually, just to get back at him from episode one? Yeah, Can sure. Can we stop you? Give me, give me an um, actually. Yeah, Kale Sanderson uh, wrestled in 130 high school matches and won 127 of them. Oh, I'm was so not sorry. undefeated in high school. Oh. Slacker. Um, actually, I appreciate <laughs> that, Jason. I, I, as much as I give shit to uh, one of my good friends, John uh, Zydema, if you're listening, I love you. And I love when you come up and give me sarcastic um, actual, um, actuallys. Uh, but I also prescribe to Corey's rules of if you know enough to know the right, 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 right answer, you know what I'm looking for for the answer. So me yeah. and John, me and John have a, a lot of fun with that, but. Thank you very yeah. much for your um, actually, Jason. I appreciate that. Your question wasn't wrong. Your follow-up was. And you know, this true. is recorded for posterity, so I don't want people beating down your door. <laughs> I don't want the, the kale heads, as they're known, uh, sending hate mail <laughs> to us at quadriviapod at gmail.com, where you should send love mail and uh, suggestions for other keyword challenges. Guys, we need them. Please send us an email. Just put keyword challenge in the subject line. Send it to quadriviapod at gmail.com. And who knows, just like Cheyenne, who hails from from apparently Earth, your question <laughs> or your topic might be read on the air. Uh, Aaron, let's do a trivia. Okay. <laughs> That's that my favorite. <laughs> let's do a trivia. Let's, let's do a trivia. So the reason I didn't participate in the original discussion about theme rounds is that I don't like them. But one of the things that I do for my regulars to encourage people to return is I tell people that if they finish in last place and stay till the end of a game, they can pick a category for the following week. So predictably, people like to ask for niche things that their team Mm. will be good at, that they will enjoy. And the way that I um, cut the baby in half and then throw it out with the bathwater or however that idiom goes is I will do one of two things, and this round does them both. I will either do things that are adjacent and uh, say, fuck you, you knew what you are getting into. Or I will give them the opportunity, similar to the, the take the black that Jeff does, I'll give them an opportunity to get a bonus point if they know something specific about the show. Or maybe the question will just be simpler if you know exactly what I'm getting at. So um, I did tell you guys I was going to do my witch around. I went back and read that, and that one wasn't as good as I remembered. So we are going to do uh, a theme round on Game of Thrones, which I did on March... 
nope, sorry, May 30th, 2019, after being asked for several years. <laughs> and most people were not happy for the aforementioned reasons. So we'll see how you guys have to feel, what you, how you guys feel about it, what you guys have to say. Uh, I feel really good for about seven years, and then uh, I'm going to take a shit at the very end. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. It doesn't, get, it doesn't get super, super specific because, like I said, I don't, I'm not an expert and I don't want to be. So question number one. What band, formed in 1977 in Los Angeles and still touring today, shares its name with one of the most common brands of toilet? I see what you did there on uh-huh. this. Okay, there yeah, it is. Yeah, they're not all like this. All right. Uh, 1977 band formed in L.A., common toilet. Um, Kohler is coming to mind, but that's not the name of a band. I'm trying to think of toilet brands offhand. Yeah, I th- I- I'm just imagining... I'm just, I'm just imagining a rat toilet. <laughs> like, come get your, come get your rat toilet. Oh, I'm open to from, better answers on this one, Jeff. From the Home Depot. You are closer with that joke than I think you realize. If you want to, well, maybe I can see the connection because I know the answer. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I think we might have to tap out on this one. And yeah, I'm, really, I'm really definitely at a point it. where I'm tapping because I'm just thinking of. Because if it was 77, they would have got popular in the early 80s. And if it was a rock group, I can't think of a single like hair metal or glam type band from L.A. that would have. I'm imagining them playing at the whiskey and saying things like, hey, we're the coolers. Like, I just I can't. There's nobody that's saying their band name in my head that I can come up with that is a also a toilet <laughs> like or, or i should say a brand of a toilet i'm sure there's like a, a band called the crappers out there somewhere but i don't know who <laughs> that is so this is interesting this might be a regional thing it might be because their possibly most famous song which was released in 1982 is the song i end all of my shows with every week it is toto oh right uh, yeah yeah i, can I just asked a question about toto too I, I can realize see it was a the, the, the logo emblazoned on the toilet right now. Yeah. Okay, so you Damn. do have them out there. Yeah. yeah I don't no, know I'm about the familiar. geographic I, zones of various toilet companies. I can say with with all honesty that I think my reading of toilet brand names ends at maybe the plumbing fixture on the top of urinals, and unless it says it there, like I probably haven't paid attention. Like I I, I didn't even know Kohler made toilets until Jason said something about it. So I, that would have been I totally. Think they do? Oh. <laughs> right. but I'm, Toto. Yeah. Question two. <laughs> yeah, so the connection there was thrown. Toilets are thrown. Mm-hmm. Uh, question two is a little bit more on the nose. Question two. Pure iron is rare and is found almost exclusively in what type of object, which is a solid piece of debris that originates in outer space and survives its trip through our atmosphere? I'm going to be picky with the answer I need you to give me. And for a bonus point, who made the iron throne? Well, I can answer the first half. I don't know that I'm a big enough Game of Thrones nerd. Well, no, I think I could potentially, with help, answer the second one. So I'll, I'll take lead on this if you guys don't mind. So the overwhelming, like the overarching name for these objects is meteors. But as they are falling through the atmosphere, they become meteoroids. And once they land, they have become meteorites. So I would go with meteorites. Now, it was... For the Game of Thrones half of this, it was... I know this uh, one, like, I know this one 100%. Which Teamwork. Targaryen was it, is what I'm trying to remember, it's Jeff. It's a- Aegon. That's what I thought. The Mad King, right? Yeah. 
No, no, no. Uh, Aegon was the... Um, or the first uh, he was, Aegon. Yeah, it, it was, uh, he was the one that he fused all of the swords of his enemies with dragon fire. In the show, the the very ornate looking, uh, the very ornate looking uh, throne that looks like a regular throne that has all this, you know, it's made of swords and stuff. Um, that is different than the imagery that's been presented by many of the other fans of the work, where it's literally just like a twenty foot tall pile of iron uh, that is made of swords that was burned by dragon fire. Um, so, but if I remember correctly, it was Aegon, and he was the he was the first Targaryen ruler uh, that took control of the Seven Kingdoms. Yep. Yeah, so, I if I had that. known we were going to get this deep into the mythology, I would have gone with The Witcher. But the answer is <laughs> media, meteorite and Aegon Tar- Targaryen would also have accepted Aegon the Conqueror. But yeah, for the reasons Jason said, did need it to be meteorite for the rock falling out of space. One question number three. What is the title given to the mother of a monarch who is too young to rule in his own capacity? For a bonus point, on behalf of what character did Cersei take this title? Uh, Jeremy, do you have anything on this? I'm trying to remember. um, Because, again, I have a a strong-ish guess on the first half, but I want to get your opinion. Oh, God. I don't remember. Like, the matron or something like that? or That was part of the question, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I think this is Queen Regent, unless you guys oh, talk me yeah, out of it with a yeah, better answer. No, that that's it. I I know that um I know that they called her uh, in in regards to Cersei and the other answer, I believe he, uh you said it was looking for Joffrey when he was. Uh, too it wasn't young. for Joffrey, it was for um they, I almost said Rickon, her- but Rickon's the Stark. Uh what's the uh what's his younger oh, no, brother? Yeah. Yeah, it would have been um Tommen? Yeah, yep, Tommen, thank you. That's the one. Yep, Queen Regent and Tommen. But yeah, uh, Joffrey ruled as king in his own right. He didn't have Cersei rule for him. Question number four. The mountain is played by Icelandic strongman Hafthor Bjornsson. What is the name of the strongman apparatus that consists of concrete spheres named for a Greek titan? The current world record for this apparatus is 560 pounds. Uh, this may have changed since I wrote this question, but I don't think it has... Uh, this record was not set by the mountain. If you know who set the record, I'll give you another bonus point. I have no idea who set the record, but I absolutely know what those are. Those are Atlas stones. I 100% agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And the, I the, no they have no clue on the, the record holder, unfortunately. They have to pick them up off the ground and put them like on top of a barrel. And as they move down the line, the stones keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and bigger until it's like they're literally picking up a small car's worth of concrete mm-hmm. and putting it on a barrel. Or the platforms get higher and higher. Um, I've done a couple of strongman contests that have Atlas stones. As it's always the last apparatus. Like the stupid human tricks is always the last apparatus of the five. Um, <laughs> and Atlas stones are awesome because like you get like pine reds and you get all sticky and you pick mm-hmm. them up and you got to put them in your lap and then throw them up. It's really fucking fun. Oh, it's all, uh, always yeah. good to watch. Yeah. They're called Atlas stones. And the person who held the record at the time of this writing and may still at the time of this reading is named Brian Shaw. So, Aaron, I'm going to jump in real quick uh, before we get some some angry letters on this. It was correct uh, at the time you wrote it. It has changed since then. Okay. Uh, the record is currently held by Tom Stoltman. As of March of 2020, uh, the new record is 602 pounds. Good Boy. Lord. 
Okay, cool. Yeah. I thought I saw (laughs) something on Reddit about that a few months ago, but I couldn't remember if that was record-breaking or just really, really awesome. So I didn't want to come in without knowing. Both. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I I didn't think to fact-check it till just now. Um, Hafthor Bjornsson has been in the news lately because he broke a deadlift world record in isolation. He pulled... A thousand and five hundred and one kilograms, so like a thousand and X pounds. I can't convert. That's like eleven hundred pounds, yeah. But yeah, he beat um, the previous record holder who has now challenged him to a UFC style fight. So the world of strength sports is getting weird. (laughs) Um, Yeah, (laughs) it's going to be Eddie Hall. uh, Isolation, man. I I know one thing about the mountain. And that he is a giant human, and for somebody to go like, I want to fight that guy. I can only imagine what the other guy looks like. He's also <laughs> capable of pulling 500 pounds. Like, these are not small men. No, no. They're also not fast men, and their center of gravity is <clears throat> in a weird place. So it's going to be really fun. To, I'm excited. It's going to be fun to watch. I can't wait to see him on Dancing with the Stars then. <laughs> okay, number five. The Kraken is the sigil of what house? For a bonus point, what are this house's words? Oh, this is purely Jeff. I have a guess. I, yeah, I, I, I know. I know names. this one lights. I know this one lights out. Uh, is it? Uh, j- just so I can take a guess at it, it is the Kraken? Uh, oh no, that's not crap. I was thinking it was um, Lannister, but it's not. They're like the lion or whatever. No, it's the, the family correct. that lives on the yeah. Iron Islands. But I'm blanking yeah. on their name. I, I it's the the great great joys, the joys, joys from from Pike Islands, and their words are "We do not sow." That is correct. <laughs> And to counteract that very you know it or you don't Game of Thrones question, here's a maybe you can figure it out game question. (laughs) Number six, what game was originally turned down by Parker Brothers due to its length, complexity, and theme? After the company saw how well it sold in Philadelphia, however, they decided to buy it. First and only guess is Monopoly on this. That's exactly where I was going to go. If you talk about that's based on Atlantic City. What is based yeah, in Philadelphia? Like, what kind of game is based in Philadelphia that was sold well? Well, it didn't. The clue didn't say it was based in Philadelphia. It just said it sold well in Philadelphia. Yeah, True. if I remember the story, I don't know all the exacts about it. I know that the game was created by uh, just a woman who created the game, and then it was mm. essentially kind of taken over by another company. Um, so that that might be the case where she lived in Philadelphia and made the game and it was popular in Philadelphia and then they retconned it to be about Atlantic City or maybe it was about Atlantic City in the first place and they just took it from her. Well, the um, original version that she made was called the Landlord's Game and I don't think it had specific like geographic references until the, uh, is it Clyde Darrow or something like that? Clarence Darrow? Uh, some douchebag who stole her game yeah. uh, changed it. When, when it comes also, to, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Aaron. As, as Atlantic City and Philadelphia are pretty geographically close. I think they're like they're like an hour minutes. apart, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. If that, yeah. so it's that that was for people here. That was kind of a hint because what's near Philadelphia? Well, Monopoly is based in Atlantic City, and Philadelphia is near Atlantic City. I think that's where a lot of people got it from that didn't know it off the top of their heads. But yeah, it is Monopoly. Okay. Okay. All right, number seven. Uh, this is a trivia chestnut. You guys should know this right away. What professional U.S. sports team is named not for an animal, as people expect, but for an artistic work? Oh, know this one, written this one, love this one. Jeremy, yep. do you know it? Remember it? I have not heard this one before. Oh, well, I tried, Jeremy. Uh, <laughs> quote the douchebag, it's the Ravens. Oh. 
Indeed. Yeah. yeah. Edgar Allan Poe, strong ties to Baltimore, died in the ditch there. Lived here for a while, though, so we act like that's all that happened to him ever in his life. <laughs> yeah, and aren't the three, uh, like, on-field mascots named Edgar Allan and Poe that Baltimore uses, the, the people in the bird costumes or whatever? They might be. They, I wouldn't I feel like I know for that. sure. I know for sure that they were at one point. I thought I remember reading something that they used to have three, and now they have one, and it might just be Edgar. Okay. Uh, but I but I know for sure that at one point they had three Ravens named Edgar Allen and Poe. Uh, but I think that they've changed from that since then, or I might be wrong on that. But I know for sure that 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 factoid at least at some point they did have that. Well, feeling good about right. this. Let's keep going. Yeah. Number eight. We are going to get real nerdy now. People all over the internet have been troubled by the fact that because Danny's dragons only had two legs, they weren't technically dragons. What is the name for this type of creature, which appears in the flag of Wales and is thought to date from the 700s? Oh, we are all D&D nerds. Yeah. (laughs) I beseech you, Jeremy. I think you can get this one. What do you got? Oh, uh, that would be a wyvern. It would be. There you go. I believed in you. (laughs) Yay. Number nine. What is the common name for the small shrub or tree in the dogbane family that is one of the poisonous, commonly grown garden plants? It is probably not a coincidence that it sounds like the name of the person who poisoned Joffrey. I can walk alone on this if you guys need me to. I I, I think I got this one too, but go ahead, Jason. It took me a second. Uh, Would that be Oleander? It would be Oleander. Ah, okay. Deep dive alt rock reference there in my hint. The 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 problem that I was the problem that I had reached into um, was that I was I immediately started thinking of Peter Baelish, uh, yeah. Littlefinger, uh, because oh. he was like the he was the conspirator that immediately jumped to mind, not the Queen of Thorns, but. Right. Now that you, if, if we had talked that out, I would have absolutely given you the 100% go with that. That's that's mm-hmm. your correct answer for because sure. Because her name is Olena Tyrell. Yep. Exactly. A little bit of wordplay for your, your afternoon, it. evening. Thank you. And now I'm going to listen to Oleander after this recording. <laughs> and question number 10, your expert level Game of Thrones question. During the Red Wedding, Bruce Bolton finished off Rob Stark. Who killed Catelyn Stark? That because sometimes you got to just give the people what they asked you for. <laughs> I've seen the um, Red Wedding, but it's been almost a decade at this point, so I'm deferring like any good teammate would. I, in my head, it was either um, I, the guy's name escaped me that threw the wedding, or I thought it was just a guard snuck up behind her. It it depends. I. I I'm not positive because it's been a very long time since I've read the book um, and watched that episode of the show. Uh, because after season eight, I haven't gone back to watch it because it just is, it's in its own place now. Um, but I know, I know that Roose Bolton was the one that was sitting next to Catelyn and she knew that there was something going on when she saw that he had mail on under his under his clothes like she moved his the the sleeve of his shirt to see that he had mail on under his clothes so he was prepared i will for tell battle. you this is not a dtq this is before i started doing dtqs okay and you so. said uh Roos bolton was the one uh Roos bolton was the one you named in the question yep Roos bolton finished off rob stark who killed cat okay and i believe it was the same in the book and the tv show huh. is it one of the names that were on the uh list of names maybe 
What? Uh, oh, Arya's list. Arya's oh, Arya's list. Yeah, Arya's, oh, Arya's, oh, oh. Arya's murder list. Yeah. I'm looking around like I don't see. I list. don't think so because she doesn't know who killed her mom for sure. Because she wasn't. I mean, there. I know she just heard rumors. Bruce Bolton is on that list though, isn't he? So potentially. What's the other family that conspired other than the Lannisters it's with the, the Boltons? It's, it's the Freys and the Boltons. The Freys. Was it... So was it, it might wouldn't be, have been Walder Frey, and he didn't have any sons, I don't think. No, he had, he, had a, he had a bunch of illegitimate... Well, not illegitimate daughters, but he had a bunch of daughters that he couldn't give away uh, because he kept remarrying and having kids. So he has a bunch of sons without land and a bunch of daughters without husbands. Um, but if it's not Roose Bolton who I th- I thought that that's who it was. I would I would say that it's probably one of Walder Frey's kids, but I wouldn't be able to tell you any of their names except for I know that they're all named Walder Frey. Like, <laughs> well, if we don't think that we know this, I would suggest that we answer Ed Sheeran and uh move on with our lives. <laughs> <laughs> all right, is that an Ed Sheeran cuz that's wrong? But I think you can do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the answer was Walder Rivers or Black Walder. Oh, okay, his, yeah. Really? Yeah. Known for his foul temper and dark demeanor, he was a bastard son of the namesake Walder Frey. Huh. Well, I mean, technically. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, well, that's what Wikipedia says. Yeah. No, 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 I mean, correct. no, I mean, I mean, technically I was correct when I said it was a Walder Frey because he has a thousand of them. Um, <laughs> yeah, but we, I needed something more. And there was, there was some clarification about that when... Um, when I did it live, I needed, like, this person's distinguishing name. Yeah, you needed a unique identifier. I get that. Uh, really good round, Aaron. I like that. I like that it was Thank about you. equal parts Game of Thrones and equal parts games and or thrones and, like, tangential connections. Uh, reminds I don't me want of people a... to be scared off. Yeah, no, I think you did a good job with it. It reminds me of a round I did um, actually on stream a couple weeks ago. I had originally written years ago, which was Peanuts and Peanuts. So five questions mm-hmm. about the legume and five questions about the comic strip just randomly shuffled in together. I think yeah, I played that one. Yeah. Ah, okay. I, I did one similar to that last week with uh, with comic books. Uh, comic books was the given uh, the given theme. Um, for those of you who've never played my Twitch game, I have my Patreon supporters at, uh, drawing at the end, and I choose one of them each week to pick a theme for one of my games next week. Uh, and I do a round about whatever they choose. And depending on the difficulty of that theme, it's a, if it's a TV show that people have, might have seen, I might just stick with it. But since it was comic books, just carte blanche comic books, there's a lot of that that gets into super nerd territory. So I did the same thing where um, I wanted to make it more accessible the same way that you do by throwing not exactly that type of question or like kind of an adjacent style question. But what I did is I wrote a I wrote a comic book question and then I uh, sprinkled in pop culture hints that would lead you to the correct answer without knowing the comic book aspect of it. So one of the ones that I used was, um, I don't remember the exact wording, but Luke Cage, especially when teaming up with the Iron Fist, was known by what superhero name? And the answer is Power Man. And, but before I read the question, I said... Uh, are you ready to go? And at the end, I said, this is what it's like when worlds collide to kind of give you a little hint towards Power Man 5000 and maybe guessing that Power Man was the correct answer. So that that's a really fun strategy for us to take to kind of uh, balance out what I would consider to be uh, more 
minutia based or very specific like high knowledge based theme rounds i thought that was a really good round um so with that all said are you guys ready to, to get the hell on out of here and enjoy the rest of your lives indeed I yeah am. that's the hope so yeah um i i want to take a moment and thank aaron for an amazing round i want to thank uh jeff for a great uh back and forth conversation and round table i want to thank jeremy fine <laughs> uh, and get us on out of here actually jeremy 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 where can people find us uh you can find us on twitter at quadrivia pod you can shoot us an email at quadriviapod at gmail.com you can find us on facebook at uh, facebook.com slash quadriviapod uh and that's about it right now uh we're working on something else in the future as well but that's uh that's all we have for the moment are you saying that's only for fans of the podcast that thing we're working on <laughs> yes, that would only be for fans of the podcast. Only fans of the podcast will know about it. Gotcha. <laughs> I see where you're going there. Yep. Yep. Totally what totally to where it's going. Yep. We are we all just we are all just slightly more intellectual cam girls. Uh I'm Aaron Barkley from Richmond, Virginia, Orange Cat Trivia on Facebook, Twitch, Instagram, and Gmail. I'm Jason with Liquid Courage Entertainment. You can find us on Facebook at Liquid Courage. Uh, Courage is, as always, spelled with a K. And you can find me on Twitch at Liquid underscore Courage with the same K. I'm Jeff Bim with RMT Trivia. Uh, You can find me at most of the places just by searching RMT Trivia. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and on Twitch. And I'm Jeremy, also with Liquid Courage. You can find me on Twitter at, at JerWG and on Twitch at LKJeremy. And that is the end of our show. This is our outro. It's awesome. We will have a better one next week <laughs> or not. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Have great times. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Now I'm just I'm, now I'm just imagining a, an addended biathlon that's now a triathlon where you have to cross country ski, shoot targets, and then change into a onesie and oh, no, then no. wrestle somebody. We're going, no, it's old, it's old school Greco Roman wrestling in the snow. Oh yeah, even better. It's like let me throw down my gun and teach I you mean, what's at, what. At that point, there's not much to see anyway because you're out in the snow. So.